interesting to me growing up realizing that Jesus had brothers and sisters. That's a unique uh, relationship that he had. And I know for me personally that that relationship is unique. I have three brothers, and to think of Jesus having family members and growing up, and, you know, I don't know if they have preschool or whatever, but they grow up together in that society, and then one day, all of a sudden, now you're a follower of your brother. Now, these are my two brothers, my two older brothers. I have a younger brother, um, Tom and Doug. I'm the one with the little vest or the the sweater on and the tie because I'm really professional, and uh, (laughs) that's me. My oldest brother's in the middle, Tom, and the really happy guy there is Doug. That's my brother, Doug. Now, last week I told you about Tom, why I wouldn't worship or follow or be the disciple of Tom. Uh, this week I'm going to tell you why I wouldn't be the, the, the disciple of Doug. Um, when I was growing up, in, in my younger years, in my brother's teenage years, there was a thing called heavy metal that was very popular. And one of the things they would do in heavy metal is they would take metal chairs and they would hit each other with metal chairs. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? Makes total sense that that's what you'd want to do as you're listening to your music. But that's what they did. It's very aggressive music. And my brother thought it was his job. My brother Doug thought it was his job to make me tough. Have you had a sibling that wanted to make you tough? And it wasn't like tough love. It was like tough beatings. And so uh, we had this solarium. It was a little room that we would all go to to watch TV or play games. And that's where my brother uh, felt the need to make me tough. And at this time in my life, my grandmother lived on the other side of the house in her own apartment, but it was connected to the house. And so every time I looked at my brother, and my brother Doug had that look in his eyes, like, it's time to make you tough, Mike, I knew I had to escape. And so I would run as fast as I can because I knew if I got to the safety of grandma, he wouldn't be able to do anything to me. (laughs) And I look back on my life and I say, the reason I was quick in sports is because my brother chased me so much trying to make me tough. And so we all have that. We have those stories about our family. I love my brothers. They're amazing. Uh, God has used them in my life in so many ways. And so I will tell you, Doug is a great brother. Tom is a great brother. Scott is a great brother. But we've had our moments where I know not to worship them or be their disciple. Go to the next slide. But I I think the big question becomes then what are we to do with our lives? And one of the things we like to do as a family is play table games. And one of the games we played was life. How many of you played life before? Now, the, the idea of life is you, roll, you spin a spinner, and you go around life, and the goal of the game is to end with the most money. And so the goal of life is to end with the most money. And at the end, for some reason, if you get to retirement first, you get extra money. Which I kind of understand. But that's, that's how the game works. And the sad thing to me, and as this morning as we look at James, the sad thing is this is really how the world operates. You know what the the temptation is in life, this game? It's to cheat. It's to to re-spin or or move them a little bit further or less than you're supposed to. Why? Because the ultimate goal is to get the most money. It's not to be the most moral. It's not to be the most righteous. It's not to be right with God. And so as we look at this game, and it, it really reflects to me the reality of the world we live in today. We live in a world where much of what is said and done is how do you get more? How do you receive more? How do you become what you want to be? All of these things, regardless of whether it's right or wrong, 
regardless of how it affects your relationship to God, and many don't believe there is a God, so it doesn't really matter. But this morning, I believe this is what James is teaching us, because the truth is, if we're not to collect money and stuff, if that's not the goal of life, then what are we supposed to be doing with the turns of life? What are we supposed to be doing with our days and our months and our years? How should we as followers of Christ be living our life? And I believe James gives us some insight into this as we look to his word. I believe God gave this information to James to give to us so that we could live lives that are worthy and purposeful. So before we do that, let's see what God has to say. Let's precede his word with prayer and ask him to speak to each, each of us individually. Father God, I am grateful for another day. You say you are holy, you say you are just, you say you are righteous. And so we come into this moment this morning and we ask you to speak directly to our hearts. We have many distractions, there's so much in this world, not to mention the enemy that lives within us, the enemy that is outside of us, trying to pull us away from you at every moment. And so Lord, we ask in this moment, as we read these words that that you, your brother James, wrote down, uh, Lord, that you inspired so that we would understand how we're to live our lives. Lord, help us to understand these things, help us to receive these things, and help us to be faithful in these things. And Lord, we pray that your words would penetrate past maybe some walls we've built, some hardships, some hardness that we've built up in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, break that today. Lord, help us to be open to your word. And Lord, as we talk about this, that you would direct our path, keep us safe on your path. And Lord, help us um, to look forward to your return, knowing that that is soon and knowing that you love us desperately today and you want us to know more about you today, right now. Lord, open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. If you turn over to James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 19. Just some context. James lived in the first century. He became one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. He was in charge of making sure that that people understood what it meant to be a Christ follower. At that time, it was called those of the way. Um, That group of people... Uh, were being persecuted by their government and by their peers. The Roman government wanted to destroy them. The Jews wanted to annihilate them. They were not loved. They were not accepted. They did not have a position within the community that was well seen. And so they were fighting to survive. And in many ways, as we saw in the first chapter, they were spread across the world. This was the way God got them to leave their homes, go to new places to share the gospel, was the persecution that was given to them. And here, he continues to teach those that are part of the church what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to go the way of Christ. And it's as applicable then it is today. And sometimes we look and we say, wow, the world's gotten really bad or our culture's gotten really bad. Well, what you need to do sometimes is go study ancient Greek culture or study ancient Roman culture. They had zero value for life. They had zero value for people. This week as I was studying this, just learning how marriages and relationships worked in the Greek and Roman cultures, that you could be married to as many people as you wanted, you could have people divorced, you could have people put to death legally in so many different ways. Human life was worthless. Human life had no value. It was about power and authority. And so much of the culture in the world that Jesus lived in and James lived in was a ruthless world. A brutal world. 
a world that gave in to every desire. Their temples of worship were temples of, of debauchery. They were temples of whatever fulfillment of your lust that you want to have, you can get, and that is your worship of the deity. And so it was evil. It was, an, it was filthy. And so James lived in that, and the people of James' time lived in that, and Jesus lived in that. And so we can look at our culture today and say, how do we live in a culture that seems to be in a decline, seems to be getting further and further away from the truth? And James gives us some examples this morning as we read his words. James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to becoming angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This is pretty convicting. I can be quick to speak. I can be slow. Um, I can be really slow to listen, <laughs> right? I want to say what I want to say. I want people to know what I think, and I don't really care so much what they have to say. That, in many ways, is our culture. And when I don't like what they have to say, I get angry. And what, what James is saying, that this type of lifestyle, this type of way of living is not the way that God has for you and for me. If we want to live in a world and make a difference in that world, we have to be different than the world. If you're, if you're here today and you're just checking this out, you're saying, what is a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? It's a great day you're here because we're talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And it's also a beautiful thing because this is stepping on all of our toes because every one of us in this room has said something we regret. We've got angry over things we shouldn't have got angry about. These are things we all struggle with. If we think it's just you and it's not me, then we're lying to ourselves. This is something we all can relate to. This is something we all have to deal with and take honestly. Am I willing to listen before I speak? Am I willing to, to have empathy and try to figure out where this person's coming from? And what does God want me to do in the midst of every conversation and every part of my life? Because if we're a follower of Christ, our desire is to be right with him, meaning righteous. And to be right with God, he's saying, this is how it works. And really, we have to get to that point where we ask ourselves, why am I getting angry to begin with? Why am I so angry about this? That's probably one of the most common questions I ask myself. <laughs> why am I getting so angry about this? It's no big deal. Why am I getting so angry about this? Is my anger fixing the problem? Is it making it any better? Is it bringing any solution to this issue? Many times when I consider that, I recognize my anger is only making things worse and not better. Therefore, it is not producing the righteousness that God desires. And so if I desire to live in this right relationship to God, James is saying to us, if we want to live this out, we have to apply these principles. He says in verse 24, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Isn't it amazing that even in that time, James had to say there's a prevalency of filth, right? There's so many ways to be defiled. There are so many things that will destroy us. There are so many things that want to pull us away from God. It is the same then, it is today. 
And the beautiful thing about this to me is that James is not overlooking this issue. He's not avoiding this issue. He's hitting it head on for all of us to deal with. How much of the world and its filth has made its way into my heart? How much of the world and its evil has made its way into my mind? What is my thought life like? What are my actions life when no one sees? What is my true life? Who am I really? These are all important things for us to ponder and consider as followers of Christ. We also learn that the world's morality leads to destruction. Everything that the world does, if it lies, will lead to death. We have to recognize that. It isn't really love. It isn't really acceptance. It isn't really truth when it's not of God. And if it's not of God, it leads to death. And we don't really love people. We don't really care about people. We don't really care about a nation or any of these things when we call good evil and evil good. It never works. You see, we can look and say, um, well, God's just trying to take our fun away from us or God's just kind of a bully up there. But the reality is God is a loving father. And as a loving father, I know I want the very best for my children. And probably the most important thing I can do as a loving father is try to train them to avoid snares and traps that destroy their lives. If I'm a loving father, I do everything in my power to help them to see the destruction that lies on certain paths. That I tell them the lies that that will only lead to death. And that is exactly through James, God, our Heavenly Father, is speaking into our lives. And he's saying, I want you to have the best life possible. Not just the best life possible, the best existence, meaning eternal life possible. And so for you to have the best existence eternally and be in right relationship with me, which you were created to be, then you need to recognize that there is filth all around you and it is prevalent and it is evil and it is destructive. We talked last week about the fact that if you are a light in darkness, darkness goal is to quench the light. If you're trying to clean someone's room and they want to keep it dirty, they're not going to be happy about you cleaning the room. So we shouldn't recognize, we shouldn't look at the world and say they're going to look forward to the cleaning. They're going to look forward to the light. But we should look at the world and say we love them desperately and we want the very best for everyone. We want the very best for the person that disagrees with the church and God the most. We want the very best for them. We don't want to judge them to hell. We want them to repent for heaven. And there's a huge distinction there. Because if we come at this as I'm holier than thou, you're all evil and I'm pretty good, then we're Pharisees and we are not right with God. The righteousness of God is having a desire for everyone to be in relationship with him, to know him and love him. And that's why he reveals these things to us. That is why he teaches us these things. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. How many of you enjoy looking in the mirror? (laughs) Most people, some people do, some people don't. I just happen to have a mirror with me here this morning. (laughs) This is the one I used. It's a personal mirror. No. (laughs) But here's the idea. Here's the idea. It's 
It's amazing. James is smart. He knows we care what we look like. We care what people think about us. That's why we have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. We put out there the perfect view of us, right? We would never put out what we look at when we first wake up on Facebook. We would never put our bad hair day, a picture up of that, right? We put out the best picture possible because we look in the mirror. The mirror might be your phone, and we say, this is how I want to be perceived, But James says, you look in the mirror, you do something about it, right? You have some spinach in your teeth, you do something about it, right? You do something about it. And we constantly do something about it. That's why we get haircuts. That's why people color their hair, and that's why you wear makeup. Because you're constantly doing something about what you see in the mirror. Because we all care about our exterior. But James says it's more important than that. He says it goes deeper. Verse 25, whatever looks intently in the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So he's saying this, you look in this, this is the perfect law. What is the perfect law? We call it the great commandment. The great commandment is this, please remember, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. How do we learn to love God? By looking at his word daily by investing time, energy, and effort into praying and studying his word so we can know what it means to love God. And then we can't just be hearers of the word. We have to be doers of the word. We look at this mirror, this perfect law. How do I love God? Well, I love the things of God. I love what God created. I love the people God put in my life. I love the things that God has called me to. How do I do those things well? I look in the mirror, and he says to me, Mike, you got to work on this because this is not loving. Mike, you're doing great in this. Continue to do it. But this law that I look at, this this mirror of God's love for me that I try to look at all the time is helping me become what God wants me to be. It's helping you become what God wants you to be. Just like we work so hard at making the outside look nice. Christ is saying your heart and your spirit are the things I want to grow. Those are the things I want to reveal myself. I am the most beautiful thing you can have in your life. But to have this beauty, you have to be honestly willing to look into this mirror and be honest with yourself. About a month ago, I started going to something called Move Daytona. Move Daytona is CrossFit, where we talk about Jesus. And if you don't know what CrossFit is, it's exercise that really hurts. (laughs) And you can't walk after it for a little while. And so I started doing this. And you know what I realized? I looked in the mirror and, man, I got a lot to work on. I'm a lot weaker than I thought I was. Apparently, if you just sit for a long time, you don't get stronger. I didn't know if you knew that or not. But, you know, I look at that and I recognize in myself the need for growth, the need for health, and it's important, so I have to make it a priority. Even if I don't feel like doing it, I still need to. Actually, it's the times I least want to do it, it's the most important that I do it, right? This principle applies exactly to our relationship with the Lord. God doesn't beat us up at church so we feel guilty and ashamed. Some of you grew up with that. You don't come to church to get spiritually beat to a pulp and go home feeling guilty and shameful. You come to church so the loving Father can say, hey, here's what we're going to work on together. Here's what I need you to think about. 
Here's some areas that you haven't seen that I'm going to show to you, and I'm going to massage in you, and I'm going to bring to your, to your mind. And you're going to need to start thinking about these things on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Because I love you, and I want you to be what I put you here to be. He's not trying to bludgeon you. He's trying to create within you something amazing. He's trying to reflect his nature within you. And as James says this to us, we can take this as an attack and just feel like, wow, you know, I'm just a failure. Or we can take this and say, God is moving. He's showing me things. He's growing me. He's maturing me. Praise God he loves me enough to take the time to do this. Praise God that he's always ready to train me. He's always ready to equip me. He's always ready to show me new things and help me to help others. It's an amazing and powerful thing. James 26 says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. He's saying when you look into this mirror and you think about what you said this last week, the things you thought this last week, right? The other conversations, the meetings after the meetings, the, the talking to the friend about the other friend, the, the things you said about somebody that should never have been said, the things that you thought that should have never been thought. He's saying when we do that and we don't look at this and, and really take to God, God, I need your help because I'm saying things that are not what you want me to be saying. I'm thinking things that you don't want me to be thinking. And I'm going to be honest with myself and stop pretending like that's not true. And I'm going to look into the perfect law and I'm going to say, God, I need your help because I see this now. It's clear to me. What do you want me to do? And he responds in verse 27. The religion or relationship or whatever that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Here's the answer. He says, when you're focused on helping those who have needs, you don't have all the time to do the things you shouldn't. When you fill your calendar and you fill your schedule with, because with, there's so, believe me, there is more than a more than enough to be done here in Volusia County. We could spend every minute of every day helping people and not even scratch the surface. But as a follower of Christ, he says, the answer to the orphan's issues, the answer to the widow's issues, I have put you as my church to be the answer. And so I want you to fill your calendar with those types of things. I want you to fill your time with helping those who cannot help themselves or helping those who just need a helping hand. Fill your time, fill your life with doing these things. James' whole focus of his book is don't be a hearer only, but be a doer. Your faith needs to have action. And so the first step is fill my schedule with helping others, whether it's my family, whether it's neighbors, whatever it is, whether it's coworkers, whatever you have in your life, serve to the best of your ability, serve like Christ served us and served his disciples. And the second thing is don't be polluted by the world. You know, where many people are worried about us polluting the world. But unfortunately, the bigger problem is the world is polluting us. We're beginning to devalue each other. 
We're beginning to talk like God isn't real, that people are not made in the image of Christ, like Jesus isn't coming back, like every word that comes from my mouth isn't important or meaningful, that every minute that I spend in my life doesn't have value, that every day is not important. We're starting to believe the world's lies, that, that it's not, if you're just getting to the end, get there quick so you can collect all the money at, at the retirement spot. We're starting to believe the game of life is really the game of life. Instead of recognizing that Jesus has put us here with an absolute purpose. God formed you in your mother's womb. He knew your steps. And he desires to be glorified through your life. To be glorified through your life. He says, care about people. And protect your heart. Care about people. Protect your brain. Care about people. Protect your soul. Keep it pure. Keep it holy. This is what it means to be his follower. This is what it means to follow him. So what are we to do? The question that we started out, how should we live our lives? What should we be doing? We should be self-controlled, pure servants of God. We should be self-controlled, pure servants of God. How do we do that? And before we go there, I think this is so important, because this is what I do. I've done this my whole life. When I was in college, on Friday nights, we had something called Friday Night Witnessing. And we would go into the city and we'd talk to people about Jesus. And we just said, God, you open the doors. We'll go up to whoever you want us to go in Lynchburg, Virginia. Just walk up and down the streets into the neighborhoods. You start the conversations and we'll follow them through. Every morning I woke up on Friday, I was like, I don't feel so good. I don't think I want to do this. Noon, lunchtime, ah, they're doing some other things I'd rather be doing. All my friends are doing this. I think I want to go do whatever they're doing. And we would meet at 6 o'clock. It would be 5.45, and I hadn't made the decision whether I'm going to go or not. Because here's what we do. We talk ourselves out of what God is calling us to do. Don't talk yourself out of what God is calling you into. Don't talk yourself out of what God is calling you into. The game of life is totally focused on the flesh, but we're made up of three things. If we only live in the flesh, we'll always talk ourselves out of what God wants us to do. We have to live in the Spirit. When you live in the Spirit, God empowers you to do the things you don't even want to do, but you know you're supposed to. Because we are really good at convincing ourselves not to do the things God calls us to do. We have a list of reasons why not. And I would encourage you this morning, confront yourself when you get to that place. Confront your heart and say, is this of God or is this of me? Don't talk yourself out of what God is calling you into. So how do we apply this? I believe we can't do this on our own. I don't even think any of this can be done without the power of the Holy Spirit. So for that to take place, we need to ask God to help us to be slow to speak and slow to anger and quick to listen. We need to ask him, talk out loud. He's a God of creation. He spoke the world into existence. He's a God of communication. Have you ever talked out loud to the Father? And say, God, I absolutely need your help today. I absolutely, because I am getting angry about everything. I am really quick to talk and I am really slow to listen. And I could really use your help today. 
Or even after the incident, and you've fallen, and you've messed up, say, God, I fell again. Please help me. Do you think the Father in heaven will not help you? Do you think he'll turn his back on you and not listen? He always listens. He always cares. He wants you to reach out with your heart, your soul, and your mind. Ask him to clean your life. Maybe you struggle in your thoughts. Maybe you struggle internally and you just struggle with that. Say, God, I need your help to clean me from these things. I don't want them in my mind. I don't want them in my thoughts. Clean me of these things so I can be yours. I need your help. I think for these things to work, we have to be consistent. Make time in your life to daily focus on the things of God. Every relationship in life that's valuable has time committed to it. Every relationship in your life that you want it to be healthy and growing, then you've got to spend time in it. And it's the same with your relationship with the Lord. Would you be willing to commit time in your daily life to say, God, I want to listen, I want to grow, I want to know more of what you have for me. I want to love you more today than I've ever loved you before. And so are you willing to do that? Are you willing to get, ask God for help? For any of us, for any of us this to work, we have to be twice born. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, this is, that's the first step. There is no other step before you come to Christ. But in Christ, you're a new creation. Behold, everything has passed. Now everything has become new. That's what he wants to do in you and me. And so my final question before I pray for you is, 